0: Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing.
1: So, this is about, this Ephesians um, passage is about wives and husbands and children and parents. But I just want to say right from the beginning that we are not experts, most definitely not. We just, we're very kindly invited to just share a few perspectives and a bit of a few of the things that we've learned so just in case you don't know just to give a bit of context um uh Andrew was I'm Andrew's second wife Andrew was married before had two lovely grown-up children by um his first wife Um, but sadly that marriage ended in divorce we met when Andrew was separated I was not party to any of that. Um, uh, And we have been married now for 27 years and have two, yeah, our boys, we've got two boys and they're grown-ups now. And, um, yeah, but we still very much feel like children (laughs) in our marriage and our parenting. So, yes, just for context, that's
0: us. I was just thinking before coming up here, you know, Jesus talks about being the potter or the Lord talks about being the potter. It's a really messy business making a pot. There's clay, there's water, the thing spins, mud flicks off all over the place, it wobbles around. That's what we like, okay? <laughs> so it, it's, it's a messy old world, but the Lord knows that and he came into this messy old world as Emmanuel, God with us. He looked at the mess He looked at the ruination that we made of just about everything. And he comes into it all and he says, okay, I can see it, but I love you enough to come in and engage with you without any reservation, knowing that I am also going to get splattered with mud and much worse than that in doing it. So this amazing book of Ephesians, this particular section of it is extraordinary. It's hugely divisive. This section that we're about to go through has been used to justify all kinds of abuse in the home. It's been used to justify the slave trade. If you've seen the film 12 Years a Slave, you'll see scriptures quoted in that film to justify the abuse of a slave trade. So let's just try and see it, not through the way that people of power have abused the word of God, because it is an abuse of the word of God, but see it in the sense that the God of love speaks. I just saw out there, as I was greeting people, I was scrolling through on my phone, there was a little um, thing about a talk with Jordan Peterson. You might have heard Jordan Peterson talk. The one headline, headline came up. It said, Islam is about submission, but Christianity is about love. It's about love. So this passage talks about submission But it's a book of relationships, and it's modeled. The model that we have for all of that is Jesus and his body. The way the Lord loves us, loves you so much, Annie, that he laid down his life for you because he just loves you so much. And you, and you, and all of us. It's It's a book of love. So if we think about Jesus and his body, there are three sections in here. The first is about husbands and wives. The second is about parents and children. And the third one, really controversially, is about slavery. Slaves and their masters. That's the, that's the context of it all. So, Saren, would you like to read it for us, please? We're going to begin with Ephesians 5, 21. To 33.
1: So, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy "'cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, "'and to present her to himself as a radiant church "'without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, "'but holy and blameless. "'In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives "'as their own bodies. "'He who loves his wife loves himself. "'After all, no one ever hated his own body.' But he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband.
0: And this is the absolutely key verse here. It's all about loving the other person and respecting the other person. It's not primarily about submitting, yielding through gritted teeth, doing what the other person insists that you do. This is about mutual love and respect, which is why we began at verse 21, which says, submit to one another, out of reverence for Christ. And this section then goes on to talk about husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters. There is a mutual yielding in love and respect and honor to one another that is in the body of Christ. Now, this, this, this message in its context was absolutely revolutionary, and I'll explain why that is a little bit later on. But the key thing in all of this, there is no hierarchy. God's model is love, not military hierarchy, where you have one another appointed over each other and you must obey or else. It's not about that. It's about love, constant love. So this passage in here, which talks about love, husbands love your wives as Jesus loved the church. And then it goes on to say, washing her with the word. It doesn't mean that husbands wash their wives with the word. What, this, what, what Paul is saying here is this is how Jesus loves you. He lays down his life for you. He is incredibly patient with you because he is utterly committed to having a perfect spotless bride. And it's, his commitment isn't to himself. I want this for me. His commitment is for that bride. be beautiful, utterly spotless, absolutely perfect. So one of the key things here in all of this is his incredible perseverance. The longer we've been Christians, the more we know how faithful God has been to us, how much he keeps on going with us. The Lord hasn't finished with this yet. You know, I looked it up. There are some 45,000 denominations around the world today 45,000 points of division within the body of Christ 45,000 ways in which we agree with most things but really don't agree with that (laughs) it's gonna go the Lord will remove all of that because division is not what this is about this is about unity in love and honor and respect for one another. So the Lord's committed to it. You know, Jesus is Lord, right? And that word also means master. Sometimes when you call Jesus Lord, just remind yourself, let's call him master and see how it feels. Does that feel so good as Lord? But he's Lord and master. But I want to ask you a question. When was the last time Jesus ever lorded it over you? Can you think? No, he guides us, he tells us what to do, but he's gentle and he speaks always in love. And the reason we love him so much is because he first loved us. That's what won our hearts. It's not because he's almighty, it's not because he's utterly right, It's not the fear or the terror of the Lord that won our hearts. It's the love of God that wins our hearts. A marriage is supposed to be a model of his relationship to the church. And yet today, in this country, 42% of marriages end in divorce. My first ended the same way. But what the Lord says and what the Lord demonstrates and what he's shown in your life, Terry, all your life long, is his faithfulness to you and to me and his incredible perseverance. He will not let us go. And I tell you, faithfulness and perseverance would get rid of that 42% of marriages that end in divorce. If we just had a little more faithfulness, a little more perseverance, and a lot more love that wouldn't happen
1: okay so i'm going to give you a bit of um i suppose testimony with a a bit of uh what i hope is learning um and i hope i've 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 grown in um reading scripture through our marriage but it didn't it didn't start it didn't start very well because i honestly was <laughs> quite <laughs> quite immature. He is a bit older than me. Um, <laughs> but I was spiritually quite immature, emotionally quite immature. And also I think I um, I came in with a bit, I was a bit chippy, I had a bit of attitude. I'd, I'd been to university and I'd lived abroad for a couple of years on my own. And um, I had a fairly bad attitude, I realise in retrospect. And we are quite different. So I think one of my big mistakes was I thought getting married was about kind of growing together, which meant changing the other person and especially Andrew's (laughs) choice of jumpers in those early days.
0: Women always think this, don't they? They (laughs) think they can change the (laughs) man.
1: But who chose this jumper, Andrew?
0: (laughs) It was mutual. It was mutual.
1: (laughs) Um, So there was that. But also Andrew reminded me the other day as we were preparing for this, that apparently, I don't actually remember this, but apparently I did not, I was not hugely happy about using the word obey in the marriage vows, which just shows you where I was at in those days. I don't actually remember it. And I'm pretty sure I did say it, but maybe I didn't say it with a full, my full heart and commitment because there was a question mark back then. So, um. I have to say, I don't, I don't know what Andrew would, we actually didn't discuss uh, the nitty gritty of what we would say, but I think it was quite hard when we first got married. I think um, if I'm really honest, I, was, I loved Andrew's children and his first family. They lived in the same town, but I think I resented a little bit that I had to share him with um, another family. And I would at the time I was working in, well, I started by uh, working in Portsmouth, which was long hours. I was a cub reporter in those days. Um, and then I went to work in London. So I was getting back quite late in the evening, about seven, half six, seven, sometimes a bit later. And Andrew, absolutely rightly, was probably already out going to put his children to bed. So actually, most nights you went didn't you Mm -hmm. especially in those early days so uh, that was quite a big that was quite difficult but important it was very important that he did that for um Laura Michael Mm -hmm. but it was it was difficult for us and I was and I think if I'm honest I resented it a bit um but I think it was because I was thinking about my needs, and I think wherever we struggled, it's we've been, wherever I've struggled, it's I've been selfish, I've been thinking, what do I get out of this? We're not pulling in the same direction. We did have quite a lot of pulls on us in different directions, but I think where you allow yourself to be selfish, self-centered, that's where it's it was hardest. Um, so, and, and it's still, you know, there are, it's I, I can't say that's where we live. I don't always feel dramatically different, but I have learned quite a lot that when it works, this is why it works when it feels <laughs> easier. Because it is a journey, it really is. We're still quite different. Actually, I'm sure Andrew wouldn't mind my saying, we found preparing for this quite hard. <laughs> it was quite funny. <laughs>
0: really stressful
1: <laughs> it was <laughs> It was. anyway in a good way I've learned and this is and this is God redeeming the difficult bits is that we complement one another we're different we are very different still but we complement one another and actually the Bible says we complete one another Gen- in Genesis it, it talks about God looked at Adam and said, well, that's not good that you're on your own. You're not, everything else, you know, this is one of the final bits of creation. Everything else, good, good, but not good. Adam was on his own. So he made Eve out of Adam, Mm. literally out of his body, put Adam to sleep, Mm. made Eve out to as a helpmate, it says in some translations, but actually to complete him. So the things that we, you know, where we're different, and we are very different, I think actually God is, we complement one another and maybe complete one another. And that I think in some ways, you know, I see it where (laughs) in kind of matters of uh, church, Andrew's very good at kind of Telling, speaking the word, telling people what, you know, God says and believes for them, wants for them. And I tend to, I'm the one who kind of mops up a bit with a hug and tea. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's absolutely, I think God uses our very different kind of skills. And I think for one another, we bring out the best in one another. Um, yeah those same things apply. But also, I think, beautifully, I think marriage is often... We all come with baggage and brokenness to any relationship. We, you know, we quickly accumulate that, even as children, don't we? But I think I think it's very true that Andrew and I, our marriage has healed... We have healed one another through what we've brought into it. So Andrew, he'll talk about it a bit, I'm sure. He was quite hurt and broken Mm. and actually we it took us four years we went out for four years before we got married and part of that was processing
0: once bitten twice shy
1: (laughs) so he did find it hard to trust and I I'd actually I was not confident and I'd actually come out of a, a, a relationship where I I felt put down a lot was I did not feel affirmed so I think there has been a lot of healing and that's a beautiful thing about marriage. I do think that's part of God's plan for marriage because then you you're healed and then you you can give. It, it is it, it is as Ephesians is all about actually not what you do for one another. It's about how your marriage then can serve others um, so it is about, I, I believe it is about that unity, but that unity mm. is a process and an ongoing one, <laughs> as I've for this show. Yeah. Um, so as Andrew said before, when it talks about wives submitting, that's only controversial if you see that as about hierarchy mm. and about oppression. Mm. I honestly don't it, it, wives submit, men love. Of course, we submit to one another, of course, which is verse 21. And of course, we love one another. Maybe there's a reason that the Bible points out, remember wives, do submit. Remember husbands, do love. But it doesn't mean that's the only thing the husband does and that's the only thing the wife does. Um. It is, it is about mutual submission. It is about compromise. Somebody very close to us said when their marriage broke down, they said, I just realised I've compromised so much. I don't want to do that. She said, marriage is about compromise. And I thought, yeah, I think. I think she meant she felt she wasn't herself. But actually, it is all about compromising. It is all about meeting in the middle, I I think. I believe that passage is about we have different roles and responsibilities. I do believe, and I don't understand fully, I think, I believe Andrew, it talks about the husband being the head. I think Andrew does have... Uh, his role is as a kind of spiritual watchman for the family but I think I have a different role as a as a kind of I think I I think I and I think wives I was looking at Claire earlier we are kind of gatherers and glue (laughs) That's that's all I can how I can put it but I think wives and women serve a different function we kind of gather the wider family together sometimes in a way that I, you know, I think that is part of our role. Um, Yeah. And I, so I think there are differences and I think God is pointing out the differences and maybe kind of just pointing out the bits that maybe we need reminding on, but it doesn't mean that's the one thing wives have to do. And that's the one thing husbands and they don't mutually do the other. However, is, sorry, yeah, let me yeah. just give
0: you an example which just occurred to me. You know, Eve was taken, was a rib of Adam, right? So Eve was the bone of Adam's bones, okay? When was the last time you ever looked at your hand and said, hand, submit to me, do what I tell you to do? The hand naturally serves the body, doesn't it? You don't have to tell your hand bone of your bones what you need to do, the hand and the body are working together because they're part of one another and they love one another. And it's the love and the honor and the working together that makes it work. When that disappears, when the love, respect, and honor disappear, that's when we get trouble.
1: I would say Andrew Andrew doesn't take authority. He doesn't take that role. He's earned it. He has to earn it because, as, the, as Ephesians says, it, the husband is compared to Christ. He's the gentle servant. Mm. You, you, have, you have an authority. You don't demand it. That's, where, that's why mm. if that passage seems controversial, it's as if Andrew's demanding that I obey and submit. I'm not very good at that, but he's not doing that. He has to earn that. And that, that is all the passage is about, I think. It is all, if you read it, it's all about as Christ, as the church. But we have had just, just as a just to complete that that talk about the husband being the head, this is this is the it is a it is a profound mystery, as it says in Ephesians, but there are circumstances, I think, where I have found that Andrew has taken, but probably one circumstance where Andrew has been the head of the family. It's not about decision-making. It's not Andrew always has his way, because he doesn't.
0: (laughs) Tell me about it.
1: (laughs) I chose the colour of the kitchen, it's true. And everywhere else. (laughs) But I... I do think there was th- th- there was one example, there was one circumstance where I do think Andrew was the spiritual leader, which was when he went to Bible college, which was quite, actually, this was before we had the children. I was pregnant with Joel, actually, and I took one look at the Kingdom Faith bunk beds and said, I don't think I'm going to be living in, in uh, Roffey. <laughs> but I do think it was right. It was strange, but I trusted... I trusted Andrew because I trusted that he'd heard from God. But honestly that's and and actually through that we ended up moving from Petersfield to Horsham to this area to be originally part of the Horsham KF church and that's probably the only situation in our marriage where I trust I I tr- I had to trust you on that and I was happy to But yeah, just just to make that point that I don't actually believe it is about the husband having his way the the kind of the vote um, in decision making. Okay.
0: God gave me a second chance after my first marriage collapsed. And I am so incredibly grateful. He gave me a second family and he gave me a new wife. And she has been such an incredible blessing to me honestly what an incredible gift sarah has been we talked about healing i know in many ways god has healed me through the love and the faithfulness of my wife to me she's also taught me many things and one of the most important things it's one of those things it's quite difficult to put your finger on but i get exasperated with people but she loves people and she sees good in everybody and she sees good in the ordinary and she's taught me to love people in a way that I would not I would have just dismissed people. But she's I, I actually she's think me. we
1: live we love different kinds of people. I think Andrew's very good with certain types of people, which I find whom I find more challenging. So I don't think Andrew doesn't just, just in case you think he doesn't like you. <laughs> he does. It's
0: because she taught me. But Saren is wise and I respect her opinion and I have no problem whatsoever in submitting to my wife. I know what it says and I agree with what it says. We have a million practical decisions to make and Saren takes responsibility for a lot of those and that's absolutely fine. And if I don't quite like the look of it at the end of it because our tastes are really quite different, it doesn't matter. It's her home and I want her to be blessed in the home. We'll talk in a minute about raising children because we had quite a different view on on how we do that. But I have no problem whatsoever listening to her, understanding her, and letting her have her way, except for when my ego gets in the way and also for when I really feel the Lord's saying something different. But that is so rare. Not the ego. The Lord's saying something (laughs) different. It's so rare. So, yeah, I have no problem submitting to my wife in the same way as my hand has no problem submitting to my body and my body has no problem submitting to my hand. Let's just try and forget hierarchy. It's about love. If we can remember that, if, we, if, if, if I love my wife more than I love myself, you see the minimum standard for Jesus's love for us, the minimum standard is that you love one another as you love yourself. That's his minimum his standard is that we lay down our lives for each other and love each other more than we love ourselves. And if you, if you put that in practice in a marriage and in all of our relationships, we do not have problems. Do you want to read the next bit about children? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so this is Ephesians 6 um, verses 1 to 4. Children, and we're all children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord.
0: I want to tell you a slightly Strange story, because you think this is about parenting. Well, this is a story about being a child. My father, who's passed away, bless him, he had a really difficult life. His mother committed suicide at the age of 19. I don't know what that does to people. At the age of 12, like most healthy young kids, he was scrambling up a tree, climbing up a tree, and he fell out, and he landed on his head, and he got epilepsy. So his entire life was spent, his education was cut short, his entire life was spent on medication. And my mother used to say, when I really struggled with my dad, she'd say, he's not like that, this is, the, this is the medication. Your dad's not like that, but he was like that for me. And I, you put up with it. it, is when you become an adolescent and you start asserting yourself a bit, I got to a point where actually the truth is I despised my father for a time. And one of the things the Lord said to me quite early on after he saved me, which was in my early teens, he said, Andrew, you need to ask your father for forgiveness. I thought, what? Surely it's the other way around, isn't it? Isn't it? Really? Isn't? Surely my dad needs to say sorry for the way he's behaved towards me, his furious temper. No, Andrew, you need to ask your father for forgiveness. And I did. I'm not sure what difference that made to my dad, but I tell you, it made a vast difference to me. This scripture which you just read, I think is really significant. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on this earth. Through much of my childhood, I thought about suicide. And that persisted. That went on into my teens, and it took a long time to get that out of my system. I was gripped by the notion of taking my own life. I never thought I'd have any kind of a long life. I was really surprised when we hit the year 2000, and I was still here. There was this thing overshadowing me. And When we repent, repentance means turning around from one thing and going in the other direction, Right? But there are stages in repentance. I just want to highlight one because maybe this is speaking to somebody. The first thing we do is we say, sorry, Lord, right? I'm not going that way anymore. I'm going to go this way. And the word says that when we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the forgiveness is instant. You say, sorry, God, I'm sorry. It's gone, it's forgotten. But then there's a process of washing us with water like the word, to cleanse us from all of, the, all of the stain and all of the attitudes and all of the oppression that's come on us. That's the second stage. There's another stage of repentance. It doesn't, these are not one after the other. They often come at the same time. But there's another stage. And I just want to commend it to you. We need to stop agreeing with the enemy My despising my father was my agreement with the enemy's temptation. I see that with hindsight. I didn't see it at the time. The enemy says, look what your father's doing to you. What a horrible man he is. You should despise him. And I'm going, yeah, that's right. I do. You're right. I do. When we make an agreement with the enemy to do what is wrong, we give the enemy a legal right in our lives to oppress us and trouble us in all of those things in the future until we break that agreement with the enemy. In my process of repentance, all of the thoughts and feelings of suicide which persisted for years went. Why? Because I honor now my father. And I've asked the Lord to help me to remember good things about him and all kinds of lovely things about my dad, warm things that make me feel warm towards my father, came back to mind. For example, he worked in a garage. I mean, his his father was a civil servant. My dad should not have had to take a lowly job, but he had to. He had epilepsy. He had no education. But he'd come back from his garage with his blue overalls covered in grease, grease under his fingernails, grease ingrained in his fingers. And I would go to bed as a kid, and I'd reach under my pillow, and there was this little matchbox car that my dad had given me. And he used to do that time and time again. So the Lord's brought back to mind many good things about my father, and I'm really grateful for that in all of that. But in terms of of bringing up children, my father had a fierce temper, and my role model for bringing up children wasn't great. So there are times when what my boys in our marriage here, uh, when they misbehaved, I thought, no, I've told them, I've warned them, and now I need to let them have it because this isn't right, and I need to show them my anger. So there were times when I showed them my anger, but I came so close to the red mist falling and getting really angry with them, beginning to shake, not quite knowing what would happen next. And I had to come back from that quite a number of times. And I would say, since then, I've had to say to my boys, I'm really sorry, boys, that I lost my temper with you. I didn't quite lose it, I kind of chose it. You understand what I'm saying? But I came so close to really losing it. I've had to say, I'm really sorry, will you forgive me? So actually, parents, we need to respect our children. Now, hear me right in all of this. We are not equal in responsibility or maturity but my children need to know that they are loved, heard, and respected. It doesn't mean that I yield to my children about everything. I'm not saying that, but they need to know that. And I would now bring up children quite differently to the way that I brought them up before. Even
1: grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> not to be um, too much longer, but just, just coming back, to um the role of parenting but but linking it back to the the husband and wife thing I do think this passage actually because this this uh, children and parents section follows the one about wives and husbands we we do bring in the way that we kind of complete complement one another I do I do think that as mothers and fathers we bring different, different roles and responsibilities and, and character to um parenting so as a personality type for example in our situation this is not the only thing that Andrew is but Andrew is definitely a risk taker he will go and he will do things because he thinks it's right whereas I am a risk averse and I am much much happier kind of nurturing and staying close to home um so so for example, you know, in in how that translates into a family situation. Andrew wants the boys to travel and explore and our youngest Sam is currently in Canada, which is great, but you know, at me, I worry about him sometimes. I am much you know more likely to want to teach i've I for, for me i've wanted to teach them kindness values patience those kind of things but of course it's wonderful that children have both both things coming in but it can be it can create sometimes a little bit of, uh it's a two-way pull sometimes but i i can see how um uh i can see how we complement one another let it be said, though, that I was the one who scoffed her new choo- new shoes, teaching Joel how to climb trees. <laughs> Joel, our eldest son, who's perfectly adventurous now, but uh, he was quite nervous as a child, and I remember thinking boys should climb trees this is what you do Joel and I just got these brand new black shoes and scuffed all the way at the top but it was fine because he got
0: up that tree but here's here's the real (laughs) tension between us when it comes to bringing up kids I'm perfectly happy to let them learn the hard way if they won't learn Uh. the easy way I've told you kids this is what you need to do I've told you I've laid it out I've made it clear if you're determined to do that then there may be consequences for you, and I'm willing to let them take the consequences. Seren really is not.
1: No, and this is this is my <laughs> final point actually, and it is about the child parents, fathers, but parents do not exasperate your children. I know this was this in in more recent. So the boys are now in their Sam's twenty, Joel's twenty two. Um, so they've just not recently not not long since sorry left their teenage years i really struggled with in my relationship with the boys as as they will i think freely admit when they were both about 17 because i still and this is the this was the personality types and we were both andrew i think it's true to say pulling in slightly different directions andrew was the let him get on with it let them his phrase was and it sounds a little unkind but he meant it I know what he meant he said let them fail let them make their own mistakes is what he meant Mm. let them go out there try things and learn whereas I was always trying to do things for them actually remind them about things you haven't done this do this make sure you do this and in my heart, in my mind and in my heart, I think I was trying to protect them, help them, teach them. But Sam recently, but but I, I knew, I could see in the reaction of the boys, they were exasperated with me. Really, we got very cross on both sides. And our younger son, son, Sam, has said to me quite recently, you know, mum, when you, when you said when you told me, reminded me to do those things, it felt to me that you didn't you didn't trust me to be able to do them. He didn't always do them. <laughs> but for him, it was very important that I showed him, gave him the right to do things his own way and and sometimes let him fail, miss the bus, <laughs> whatever, whatever it was. So as Andrew said, it is about children, it isn't an equal responsibility. And I think sometimes, you know, sometimes in in the world the, the balance has sometimes shifted. Children have a lot of kind of authority in some in some families. And I don't know whether I don't know quite how that works. I definitely think that um children need boundaries, but I think we also need to remember that they need our love and respect as well, especially as they they grow older.
0: Well, time is marching on. I I do want to address the final part of this and I'm going to do it fairly quickly. So this is about slaves. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, Do the will of doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. There's nothing in here which says that these slave masters are Christians. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he's slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Why didn't Paul use the opportunity to abolish slavery? Why didn't Jesus use his platform as the opportunity to abolish slavery? Slavery is evil. So why does he say slaves submit to your masters? Because Paul and Jesus together have a much bigger revolution in mind than that one. The revolution they have in mind is the revolution of the human heart. That it will not be a new set of rules, a new set of laws that changes anything. That will never stop oppression. It took took hundreds of years, more than a thousand years after this before the slave trade could be abolished. Why was the slave trade abolished? Because of Christians. And sometimes despite the appearance of a passage like this, let's understand what this passage means, not just the words that are on the surface of this passage. And let me just give you an example of what Paul really meant from Philemon. Philemon was a runaway slave who came to Paul and he served Paul. And Paul wanted this slave to go back to his master. They're both Christians. Slave and master are both Christians. How is he going to get back to his master without his master stringing him up for running away? So you can read it yourself. It's one chapter and it's it's rather wonderful. Just going to read you a little bit of it. Get the heart of Paul. This is the same man who says, slaves, submit to your masters. If, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, says Paul, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this in my own hand. I'll pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self, he says. And before that, he says, he says, have him back no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but he's even dearer to you, both as a man and a brother in the Lord. Listen. When the slave masters get the hang of that, how can you have slavery? How can you have a system of abuse and power being abused and manipulated over people when you look at one another and you say, I love you in the Lord. I might have bought you at a slave market, but I love you in the Lord. I can't treat you in that way. I've got to put the whips away. I can't abuse you. You're my brother in Christ. And it's that revolution in the heart of the slave masters that makes us able to say, you're my brother. Come and eat at my table. It changes everything. This is the total revolution that takes place. And Paul, the same Paul who's writing about this, spells it all out in Galatians. And this is the heart of it. Galatians 3, 26 to 28. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. And much of what we are reading in Ephesians is about the division in the church between Jews who thought they were the best and non-Jews who thought the Jews had blown it and God had given up on them. Not true. We're all needed together in the body of Christ And one day in my continual prayer, when I look at Israel and Gaza, is bring them back to you, Lord. Bring them back to you, Jesus. They need to know you as Messiah. No division in the body of Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's not about hierarchy. It's about love honour and respect within the body of Christ, loving one another just as Jesus loves you and gave his life for you, laid down his life for you. We are equally loved and valued by Jesus. So, I'm sorry, we've gone on a bit, but I think it's good just to take a moment to respond. So if there's anything in this, for instance, with your parents... Do you need to make that choice to honor your father and mother? I don't know. Do you? Is there anybody in your life like an employer who you gave up on? Do you need to make that choice to honor your employer? Whatever. Let the Holy Spirit just show you. Just just pause a minute. And let the Holy Spirit show you. Is there anything that you need to put right? in your heart because his heart is for reconciliation and restoration. His heart is to turn the fathers towards the children and the children to their fathers. He's done that in my life. He can do that in your life too. And if the Lord is highlighting anything, then just ask you to make your faith response to him. Just settle that. Make a decision. Tell him of your decision to settle that. If you need to break an agreement with the enemy, you've been tempted to dishonor somebody. They might have been dishonorable, but that's not the point. Put that right. When we choose to to honor those who are dishonorable, we are choosing to honor the Lord.
1: We make the choice and then feelings follow later.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you.